Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. You'll find our Bible reading on page 46 of the Pew Bibles, and we're reading Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, and it's on page 46 of the Blue Pew Bibles. Uh, This is one of the most famous stories in the book of Exodus, one of the most famous stories concerning Moses, and uh, we're going to be thinking about it in a few moments' time. So uh, Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and as we read, we remember that this is God's word to us. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, And bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to think about uh, the passage that we read earlier in our service together. For a few moments, you'll find it on page 46 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning the passage up, uh, let's just take a moment to pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. And that as we open it and read it, we can know that you're speaking to us through it. We pray that we would have a sense 
of who you are as we approach Exodus 3 this morning. Uh, this is a, a magnificent chapter which, which tells us so much about who you are. And we pray that we would understand that fully this morning. We pray that you'd speak to us and that you'd also point us to our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And we ask and pray these things in his name. Amen. Normal television programming has been put on hold over the past 10 days. Uh, there's been wall-to-wall -wall coverage of the Queen's death. Uh, constitutional and legal matters have been broadcast. Processions have been shown and church services have been beamed around the nation. It's probably fair to say that our country has watched more church services in the past week or has been exposed to more church services in the past week than it has been in the past 10 years. The services that have been broadcast have tended to be what we might call high church. They have been services that have included Bible readings, hymns and liturgies and have, and have tended to have shorter sermons. Now, I haven't seen very much of the coverage this week, but I, I dipped in and out of a couple of services. And the one thing that I came away reflecting on was the fact that the services made God seem very distant. You, you, could, have, you could have watched any of the services over the past week and, and legitimately asked, who is God and what is he like? Having watched some of the services, you could have come to the conclusion that God is a butler who is ready to come to us when we need him. If we just click our fingers, then he'll come and help us out. But we know God isn't like that. Having watched some of the services, you could also have come to the conclusion that God is just a big man upstairs, some sort of heavenly grandfather, some sort of an, an old man who lives in the sky that we occasionally check in and out with, but in terms of relationship, it, it doesn't really matter. But we know God isn't like that either. We know that God is neither a butler or a heavenly grandfather because of what we read in the Bible. As we open the Bible, we find him speaking and revealing to us who he is. And as we open our Bibles to Exodus 3 this morning, we have an answer to that question who is our God? But, but before we look at the answer, where are we in Exodus? Well, chapters 1 and 2 cover some 400 years of the history of God's people. There's almost a 400-year gap between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. And as, as we open the book, we find that God's people are in slavery and, uh, and need to be delivered. As we saw last time, God raised up Moses to be his deliverer. He was born in a miraculous way, but he was far from perfect. At the end of Exodus 2, we, we read of how God heard, remembered, saw, and knew. And having heard the cries of his people, having remembered his covenant with them, having seen their suffering, having known of the anguish in their hearts, God is now going to act. Exodus 2 covers 80 years of Moses' life. And as chapter 3 begins, we see him working and looking after his father-in-law Jethro's flock. As Moses is working and tending Jethro's flock, God reveals himself to him. The beginning of this series, I said that we're going to encounter God as we work our way through this book. This morning, we're going to encounter God. This is a classic Old Testament story, but it's a story that tells us so much about who God is. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure who God is. You come to church and you hear God mentioned but if someone was to say to you, who is God and, and what is he like? You, you wouldn't be able to answer them. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian 
and you want to know who God is and you want to know what he's like, you're intrigued about why so many of us are so passionate about following him. If you're in either of those positions, it's great that you're here this morning because Exodus 3 tells us who God is. Who is our God? We're going to see three things this morning. Our God is a God of all-consuming holiness. He is a God of pre-existent constancy. And he's a God of deeply felt concern. Those are the, the answers Exodus 3 gives us to the question, who is our God? We're going to take each answer in turn. First of all, God is a God of all-consuming holiness. Look at the opening verses of Exodus chapter 3. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed." Moses' day had probably started in the same way that all of his other shepherding days had started. Sandals on, layers on, staff in hand. Off he went to the wilderness. And he comes across a bush that's burning, but it isn't being burnt up. During all of his years in the wilderness, Moses might have seen bushes on fire under the hot sun, but he had never seen anything like this. Although the bush was burning, it wasn't burnt. Moses is intrigued by the bush and he turns toward it, towards it. It's interesting to note that God brings Moses to this place. It's not that Moses goes to God, it's that God brings Moses to him. Moses goes to the place where God is. Verse 4 tells us, when the, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. Moses encounters God. He's, he's standing in the presence of God and God tells him, this is holy ground. Now Moses probably knew something about holiness. Jethro was the priest of Midian, so he would have been involved in, in the worship of God, the, the sacrifices and so on. But yet this is the first time in the Bible that we find the use of the word holy when, it, when talking about God. It takes you to read right through Genesis to come to Exodus 3, verse 5, to know that God is holy. At the burning bush, God reveals his holiness in a way that it had never been, in a way that it had never been revealed before. God is a God of all-consuming holiness. Now, as Presbyterians, we think this is very important, and it is very important. We even have a tagline to remind us of how important it is. If I was to say to you, every little helps, you would say, Tesco. If I was to say, just do it, you would say, Nike. If I was to say, you're worth it, you would say, L'Oreal, the shampoo, and you'd be right. If I was to say, finger licking good, you would say, KFC, and your stomach would rumble a little. But if I was to say, Arden's said Verens, you would say, Irish Presbyterians. Arden's said Verens is Latin for burning but not consumed. As a denomination, this is our tagline. We have used the symbol of the burning bush since 1842 to remind us that God is a God of all-consuming holiness. Now, what does that mean? It sounds kind of fancy. Well, let's think about it. It's not just that God is better than we are. God is perfect. And holiness means separation. Something holy is set apart. In the case of God, holiness means that he is set apart from everything he has made. Holiness is, 
is God's otherness. It's the distinction between the creator and the creature. The infinite distance between God's deity and our humanity. In Hosea 11 verse 9, God says, For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. In 1 Samuel 2 verse 2, God says, There is none holy like the Lord. In case Moses was in any doubt about this, God tells him to keep his distance. He says, don't come near. God was, was separating himself from Moses in order to emphasize the gap between the divine and the human. God also takes Moses to, t- tells Moses to take off his sandals. Uh, we're not actually told if Moses follows this command. Presumably he does. He knows that the ground, that, that holy ground is dangerous territory because we're told Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. It's a good thing that he didn't see God because God would later say, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. As much as Moses may have wanted to see God's glory, as soon as he realized he was in the presence of a holy God, he realized that he was an unholy man. God is a God of all-consuming holiness. Now, as human beings, we have a bit of a problem. In fact, it's a big problem. We were made to gaze upon the glory of God, just like Adam, who, who walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden. But we have fallen into sin, And in our unholy condition, it's no longer safe for us to come into the presence of a holy God. And that raises a disturbing question. How will we ever survive a direct encounter with God? The Bible says that we will all stand before Jesus one day. How is that going to go for us as unholy sinners? For for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we we know how it's going to go. Through trusting in Jesus, God doesn't look at our sin, but instead at the holiness and perfection and spotlessness of his Son. But but for those of you who haven't trusted in Jesus, how's it going to go? Are you going to stand before God one day? How's it going to go? In a word, badly. Really badly. The Bible teaches that at the end of history, every human being who has ever lived will stand before God's throne for judgment. And when that day comes, unless you are holy, unless you're represented by Jesus, you you won't just be asked to take a step back. You'll be separated from God forever. God is a God of of all-consuming holiness. It's not that God is just better than we are. God is perfect. How will you ever survive a direct encounter with him. God is a God of all-consuming holiness, and God is secondly a God of pre-existent constancy. Now, if the first point sounded fancy, the second point probably does as well. What are we saying in this point? God is pre-existent. In other words, God has always been around, but he's not old. He's the God of pre-existent constancy. Despite the fact that he's always been around, he's always been the same. He's been constant in that he's never changed. So although the second point sounds fancy, it's actually quite simple. God has always been around and he has never changed. Where do we see this in Exodus 3? Well, there's the burning bush. The miraculous sign points to God's eternality and self-sufficiency. Like the burning bush, God never runs out of fuel. His glory never dims. His his beauty never fades. He, He always keeps burning bright. That's because God doesn't get his energy from anyone or anything outside of himself. 
He is completely self-existent and self-sufficient. We also see God revealed as the God of pre-existent constancy in verses 13 and fi- through to 15. And Moses comes up with five objections when God tells him that he's going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Objection number two comes in verse 13. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? To put it another way, Moses says, People don't really know who you are, God. What is your name? And God's response comes in verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses probably spent the rest of his life trying to figure out exactly what God meant. Bible scholars have spent ages, the the past 3,000 years, trying to understand it, and they still don't really agree. I am who I am is the kind of statement that raises more questions than it answers. In Hebrew, I am who I am consists consists of just four letters, Y-H-W-H. The King James Version sometimes uses Jehovah, Most English Bibles, including the ESV, print LORD in capital letters. The proper way to to say God's special name was something like Yahweh. And it tells us something about God. It tells us that God is mysterious. But but by giving us his name, God God lets us know who he is. But God's name is, is so hard to comprehend that it forces us to admit that there are some things about God that we will never understand. One of the things that we'll never understand is the fact that he's always been around, but he's not old. And despite the fact that he's always been around, he's always been the same. He's been constant in that he's never changed. Notice how the revelation of God's name builds. I am who I am, 3.14, first part. Say this, I am has sent me to you, 3.14b. Say this, the Lord I am, the the God of your fathers, and so on, verses 15 and 16. In other words, the, the God who revealed himself to Abraham and made covenant with him is the God who is moving to deliver his people now. The God of, of pre-existent constancy is with his people. If you were an Israelite reading this story hundreds of years later, you would have found that to be really quite encouraging. If you're a Christian this morning, you should find it really quite encouraging too. God, the uncreated one, the one who wrote the the laws of space and time, the, the one who hung the stars like chandeliers, he is with his people. Knowing God's name is a great help to us. If God is the great I am, if God is is constant and never changes, then we serve the same God that Moses served. We worship the same God. There's a difference though. The God of Moses has given us a new name to call him. It's the new, the only name by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. At one point in his earthly ministry, Jesus was trying to tell some religious leaders that he was the Christ. Listen to what he said to them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was claiming to be the Lord God of Moses, the great I am, the God of pre-existent constancy. Do you know what the religious leaders did? 
They knew exactly what Jesus was saying, but they didn't believe him. In fact, they said that he had committed blasphemy and they tried to stone him. But what Jesus said was true. It's as Hebrews 13 verse 8 puts it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're a Christian this morning, you should find that to be really quite encouraging. The God of pre-existent constancy is with his, with his people. Who is our God? He's a God of all-consuming holiness. We, we, we dare not stand before him without trusting in Jesus. He's also a God of, of pre-existent constancy. God has always been around, but he's not old. And he's never changed. There's one final answer to our question this morning. God is a God of deeply felt concern. Who is our God? He's a God of deeply felt concern. It's an awesome thing to come into the presence of the living God. When Moses met God in the burning bush, he wasn't simply gaining new information about God. He was encountering God himself. God in all his greatness. You might assume that such a great God wouldn't be interested in mere mortals particularly not in moral failures like Moses. Yet the holy God who never changes has unbreakable love for his unholy people. We began to see God's concern for his people at the end of chapter two. If you glance back to the end of chapter two, you'll notice the four verbs, God heard, remembered, saw, and knew. The same four verbs are all highlighted in the opening part of, verse, of chapter three. God remembers his covenant because he identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then in verse 7 we read, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. When God's people suffer, they sometimes wonder whether God even cares. Do you ever ask that? You're going through something really difficult and you think, does God even care about what I'm facing? Does it even matter to him? Does he even know? The story of Israel and Egypt is a dramatic example of what is always the case. God knows exactly what his people are going through. He's well aware of what's happening in our lives at the moment. He knows what you're facing this week. He knows what's on your mind. He, he knows the deepest worries of your heart. And he actually cares God is full of pity and compassion for the people he loves. What he said to the children of Israel, he says to every one of his children, I am the God of deeply felt concern. So who is our God? God is a God of all-consuming holiness. God is a God of pre-existent constancy. And God is a God of deeply felt concern. That, that, that deeply felt concern is particularly highlighted for us in verse 7. God appears to Moses in the burning bush. He then speaks to Moses and he says that he has seen the, the affliction his people are facing. He knows their sufferings. And then he says, look at it with me. He says, I have come down to deliver them. One person I read this week on this passage said that the way God rescued Israel from Egypt is the way God always rescues his people. I have come down to deliver them. And he has. The God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush is the God who has finally and fully revealed himself to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the person who has come down to deliver us. And in his deeply felt concern, in his coming down, Jesus delivers, delivers us from our slavery to sin. 
And by trusting in him, by, by trusting in the God of all-consuming holiness, by trusting in the God of pre-existent constancy, we, we can experience his deeply felt concern on a personal level. We can experience the forgiveness of our sins and the blessings of knowing God personally. As I said at the beginning of the service, I was down in Portadown with Vibe, really just for over 24 hours. The speaker at the weekend this year was talking about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Four key themes that you can trace throughout the whole of the Bible. Last night he was talking about redemption and of how Jesus has paid the price for our sin. And he put it straight down the line to everyone at the weekend. And he said, what are you going to do with this? What, what are you going to do with Jesus? How, how are you going to respond to the cross? It's a good question to ask young people. It's a good question to ask a congregation that's made up of people who know Jesus and of people who don't. What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this story? With these truths about God? If you're planning to stand before God one day and not trust in Jesus, how is it going to go? You know the answer because we've talked about it already. So can I put it to you again this morning that if you don't know Jesus, you need to come to know him. You need to turn to him and you need to trust him and believe in him. People think all kinds of things about Christianity. People think all kinds of things about God and about who God is. You, you, you might have watched church services this week and wondered, who is God? What is God like? You might watch the funeral tomorrow and ask the same questions. Is God just a butler in the sky who's ready to answer our beck and call? Is God just the big man upstairs, like some sort of heavenly grandfather? Do you know, if you believe or think that he's either of those things, you haven't really understood the good news of who he actually is. He's perfect and righteous and true and pure. Sin cannot enter his presence. He is a God of all-consuming holiness. He's always been around, but he's not old and he's never changed. God is a God of pre-existent constancy. And he actually knows you. He actually cares for you. He's actually involved in your life. He knows that some of you are lost and need to come to know him. And his love and care for us all is seen most clearly through what he has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is a God of deeply felt concern and we see that most supremely through the cross. So do you know him? Have you trusted him? Are you following him? Are you serving him? Are you living faithfully for him? God is a God of all-consuming holiness. God is a God of pre-existent constancy. And God is a God of deeply felt concern. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Exodus 3 answers the question, who is our God? We thank you that you reveal yourself to us as we read these verses. We thank you that we encounter you and come to see that, that sin cannot enter your presence because you are holy. And Father, we confess that we are sinful. 
And so as we come to you sinners, we come pleading for mercy in the name of your precious son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you're the God of pre-existent constancy and that you have been merciful and faithful to your people throughout all generations. And we thank you as well that when we turn to you in repentance and faith, you don't turn us away. You're the God of deeply felt concern and you invite us to come to you. And so as your people, we come and rest in your concern for us today. And as those who haven't yet trusted in Jesus, we pray that you would speak to them. We ask that you would speak into people's lives and help them to see that Jesus is the only person who can deal with the problem of our sin. Father, continue with us through the rest of our service, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.